What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Real Talk. And I'm here with Chris Lambert, the host of Watching the Throne podcast. If you're a Kanye fan, if you're a Browns fan, if you like anything to do with music, check out my boy Chris Lambert. He drops some fire. And it's almost like every day I see you posting videos. What's good, man? <laughs> Yo, Kenny, thanks for having me on. It's nice man. to uh nice to be talking, especially like finally after we've been trying to set this up for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've been working on this for a while. I mean, initially, I wanted to bring you on. Obviously, I'm, I'm a huge Kanye fan. Um, you know, you are as well. Um, but, you know, wanted to bring you on to talk about Genius, talk about Donda, talk about everything that's been going on. So much has happened since then. Um, and now we can talk a little bit about football as well. But first and foremost, how did you, like, what brought you to Kanye? What, what turned you on to that? Uh, for just, like, being a Kanye fan or the podcast? Well, first being a fan and then in the podcast. Yeah, uh, so I was in college, like, College Dropout came out my junior year of high school, uh, heading into, or no, my senior year of high school, and it was just kind of all over. I was hearing the radio songs, uh, we got to college, and when Stronger came out uh, in 2007, it was just a song that kicked off every, like, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, basement party that we were having. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until 808s and Heartbreak that I legitimately became a fan. We usually have these like tiers that we talk about in terms of a uh, Kanye fandom, where it's like tier zero, you don't like him or the music. Tier one, you like the music, but you're not really sure about Kanye the person. And then tier two, you're like, I like the music, and I think I kind of like the person. And then you get to like tier three, where you're just like all in on everything yeah. Kanye. And for a while I was like tier one. I was like, I like the music, but he's a little too arrogant. And then uh, 808s and Heartbreak came out and my dad had passed away in 2007. And I was still kind of reeling with a lot of those emotions, mm. uh, especially being in Cleveland for college and in the winter and it was cold and I was really kind of depressed and angry. <laughs> Your dog's suppressing anger too. Yeah, somebody dropped <laughs> off a package. Um, hey, that's your guard dog right there. Right? He's just doing all the work, standing <laughs> on his hind legs. And uh, when 808s came out, it was the first album that I really felt like I didn't just like it for the sound. I liked it yeah. because I felt a connection to it in a way that I didn't think, I didn't know of any other album that talked about the grief of losing a parent, losing these relationships, yeah. feeling like you're just in this zone of sadness yeah. um which i knew there were breakup albums but there was just something next level about that so that's really when i became a kanye fan and then when my beautiful dark twist of fantasy came out it was kind of game over um yeah. i was just riding around and it was like ohio winter right november and i'm just windows down at 22 degrees outside but having to have like blame game blaring out the, the car <laughs> while i drive so uh, that was uh really the start of being a fan and then with the podcast uh my co-host travis bean he and i have a movie analysis site called film colossus where we explain movie endings and themes in kind of like bigger detail than uh, other people we style ourselves as narrative experts Mm -hmm. And we were doing all of that when Yeezus came out and we were just sitting there like Yeezus uses a lot of the techniques that we talk about when we deconstruct these films, but nobody's talking about it. Like all these reviews will mention kind of the artistry, but nobody's talking about the narrative. Nobody's talking about the themes 
or how on sites like the interlude and in on site foreshadows the music and uh, payoff and bound Two. like none of that was being discussed. So we decided let's do a podcast. We kind of go through Ye's discography, build up to Yeezus because at the time it was 2015 <laughs> mm-hmm. and we'll uh, just kind of illustrate some of the narrative aspects of Yay, And then more albums kept coming out. So <laughs> what was supposed to be this project that took uh, the course of you know, six albums or whatever it was, ended up then growing out uh, which each album he was releasing. Yeah, and it's really cool to like look at the the breakdown of everything, right? Because each album is so completely different, and you know, I think that you know, I've seen, um, I've seen something where I, I don't remember the, who said it, but I saw a tweet that basically said after 808s or 808s was the start of it. Like it's Kanye going through the stages of grief, where mm-hmm. you have the sadness, the the anger, the you know, the bargaining, um, and and, so, and then the realization where you get to Donda. Um, and so, you know, kind of looking at the breakdown of that and, and where it goes, it's pretty, pretty exciting. You know, me, myself, I, I, I actually became a fan. Um, I, my first song that I heard, the first video I saw was I saw Through the Wire. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I'm sitting there and I was because I was just so 2004, I was in college. I just blown out my knee. I'm like going through this massive depression, right? Like, I'm like, my football career is over. I'm done playing ball. Like, one night I was sitting on the roof of my frat house, like, ready to just go. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my boy comes in. We sit down, go into the room, and through the wire comes on the TV. And I'm like, yo, like, if this dude can freaking rap through his <laughs> freaking jaw wired shut, like, why am I tripping off my knee? Like, you know, and then that just kind of, like, just started the everything for me. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I resonate with you with, you know, losing a parent. I lost my mom last year. Mm. Um, and you know, that's where Donna kind of hit me where I'm like, okay, like this is, you know, this is cathartic for me right here. Um, but you know, going through, you know, going through your pod, your discography, you're going through the discography. Um, you've also been offered, you've had the opportunity of, you know, being able to (laughs) see genius firsthand and be there for genius and, and actually meet the guy. So what, what, what was that like? Because I, I was, I saw him at Disneyland, but I was like ten feet away <laughs> by like fifty security guards, and I got closer to Chris than I got to him. So, <laughs> yeah, well, and we'll have to talk about knee injuries at some point because I was playing baseball in college and <sighs> ACLs uh, got to me. But uh, yeah, it was kind of it was cool because I got to talk to um, Kudi and Chike in an interview ahead of time. I was part of like a Netflix press junket. And I got to see the full documentary early because of that. And that was exciting. And then they I was going to go out to Los Angeles just to visit family uh, and friends and just spend a couple days there. And it happened to be my birthday. And I was I was just excited to spend some time in L.A. And when I was talking to one of the producers for the documentary who I had talked to uh, for a, a Forbes piece that I had written when I was briefly a contributor to Forbes. Um, he's like, I'll, you know, you're going to be out in Los Angeles. We're doing some events for genius. I'll invite you out there. I'm like, cool, cool. So he invites me to this thing that was just the genius experience. And he had initially styled it as something that was supposed to be a little, almost like a art exhibit or museum experience. 
and told me he was getting me tickets for Saturday. I was like, oh, I won't be able to do that. We have some family stuff. And he's like, all right, come tonight to this other thing. So I was like, okay, I don't know what this is. It seems to be some kind of party. I had no idea that it was the premiere uh, event out in Los Angeles. I just thought it was going to be maybe some kind of party that they were doing for Kudi and Chike and everything. And so I get there and I think it was starting like 930 kind of thing. And I have to do a COVID test across the street. And we're talking downtown uh, Hollywood where there's all these fancy restaurants. Traffic's insane. I missed a turn and it took me seven minutes to go around the block <laughs> yeah. just to, just to like get through all the traffic. I guess Justin Bieber was doing a show that night as well wow. uh, that was right across the street. So I finally park. I'm waiting for this COVID test to come back. And I check Twitter. And I'm seeing people post that Ye's at the premiere and at the after party. Wow. And I'm looking across the street and I just see this banner that I'm seeing in some of these photos. And I'm just like, oh, so he's there. <laughs> like, and I'm going to be here. What is this? Like, wow, what am I going into at this <laughs> at this moment? So I get cleared of COVID, which was nice, and walk across the street, walk inside, and it's this really nice Italian restaurant. And there may be like 50 people inside at that point, and it was big and closed down, of course, for the events. Uh, there's this huge bar. Like the, the first wall when you walk in was just this huge, gigantic bar. And you have a little low wall that has booths on each side of it. And then a gap for servers to walk or people to walk. Then another wall that has boots on either side of it. So you have two of those setups and then the VIP section. And I'm seeing some people I recognize, like Theophilus London's walking around. Um, Jason, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Hollywood Unlocked. Um, oh, Jason Lee. Yeah, Jason. He's walking around. So I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm seeing some people that... like. I recognize, but nobody else. So I'm doing some laps by myself. I'm getting told not to go into the VIP area. They just look me up and down. And they're like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> and I'm standing at the bar waiting to get a drink. And Quavo just stands next to me to get this drink. And he's just all iced out, which was kind of wild because I'm just like kind of looking down this awesome suit on awesome jewelry. I'm like, all right, so there's some people here that have some star power, but I still didn't see Yay. And I see Jason Lee at the bar. And I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to him and just tell him, you know, I've been following. Congratulations on the connection. So he's holding court with a few other people. And I'm just kind of standing there with my drink, trying not to be too <laughs> awkward. And I see out of the corner of my eye, all these people flood this left side entrance where everybody else, all of us normal people are coming in on this other entrance uh, and it's yay. He walks in and he's wearing the, the outfit that we all recognize at this point, like the black jacket, black sh shirt or black sweater, black shirts, black pants, the boots. And he's getting swarmed. I was like, wow, yay's 10 feet away from me, 15 feet away from me. But it felt like a mile. Mm -hmm. just because of all the people swarming him. And I, I'm excited to meet him and talk with him one day, but I'm also not the kind of person that's like, I'm going to fight through everybody and introduce yeah. myself. I I, I want to have like a little bit of like class 
<laughs> a grace when I do it. Yeah. And uh, but I'm kind of like looking. I'm just like, oh, maybe there'll be an opportunity at some point. But I bet he's going to go back into the VIP area and I'm not going to get to see him. So I'm still kind of biding my time and waiting for Jason Lee to open up. And that's when I turn and look and Ye's just walking right towards me. And <laughs> he walks past and I tried to say something when he was walking past like, hey, hey, yay. But nothing really came out. <laughs> I was like, say it. And then just kind of stood there. And he walks right up to Jason Lee and he and Jason Lee start talking and they step away from the bar for a second. And they're legitimately right next to me. It's like they were including me in the conversation. So I'm just standing where I could push both of them. <laughs> That's how close I was to them as they're kind of like leaning down and talking to each other. And I'm feeling a little awkward in the sense of it looks like I'm directly engaged with them, but clearly neither of them know who I am. So I'm trying not to be too invasive to what they're talking about, but still be like, hey, I'm here. I'm ready to talk. Yeah. And after a, a a couple minutes, Jason Lee turns away and Ye's just standing there by himself. I was like, this is my time. Guy's just standing there. I can introduce myself. And as I get ready to say something, three people fly up and one gets ahead and is just like, yay, I want you to meet Melissa and pulls this girl to him and she like shakes his hand and he kind of smiles at her. And then he introduces another girl to him and then somebody else brings him a drink and he's making jokes about the drink. He's now a foot away from me, legitimately a foot away from me within like shaking distance. And I'm not going to be able to say anything to him because all these other people are saying more and ah, my heart's sinking just a little bit. And then everybody leaves again and he's just standing there not doing anything. Nobody's talking to him. Okay, well, here we go. And it's kind of like <laughs> a in. yeah, a movie where I like look left, look right. All right. Hey, yay. Do you mind if I introduce myself? And he doesn't make eye contact with me. I'm like to his right side. He has a side turn to me and he goes, go ahead. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I go, uh, Chris Lambert with the Kanye podcast. And he gives like a turn with a little bit of like a, a lip purse like and goes, oh, yeah, and gives me, That's like, dope. yeah, a handshake, hug, and he's just like, great, and smiles. I'm just like, okay, that's, like, legitimate. It was a legitimate reaction. And yeah. I'd be honest if I was like, oh, he was just being nice. He clearly had no idea what I was talking about, but it was a legitimate recognition. And uh, then we just kind of stood there for a second. I was like, I really liked your Black Future Month speech. He's like, oh, you heard that. And he kind of smiles. He goes, the thing about speeches is sometimes I don't know I'm going to be given speeches. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, wait, are you saying that was all off the cuff? He's like, yeah. I was like, you were rhyming in the middle of that. Like, you just were dropping bars in the middle of that. And he kind of smiled. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was essentially the conversation. And I asked That's if I could get a, a picture and he said, okay. And there was nobody close enough where I could just be like, take this. So I'm trying to do it myself and I'm trying to get the, the angle rights. And it's looking like the final product looks absurd because I'm like 
<laughs> trying to smile with my chin tucked back, but yay looks good. Uh, so it was a it was a good experience, but I should have asked him right then and there, like about the movie interview. Like, do you want to do yeah. an interview about movies? But then uh, I posted it to Instagram the next week, and he told us to come to Miami, and then never heard from him again. So it was a, a whirlwind of a February for yeah. Kanye experiences. That's I mean that's obviously I mean, it's easily a top ten experience, <laughs> top five experience maybe. Um, yeah. That that's it's an incredible story, you know. I think that the thing is you get a smile out of yay. Like that's yeah. a genuine smile out of yay. Like not, not many people get that. So, um, you know, and then, you know, at the premiere, you're there, you're checking it, you know, you're, you're seeing everybody, you're meeting everybody, you meet yay. This, the, this documentary, I mean, what Cootie and Chike put out there was yeah. just phenomenal. And, you know, it made me want more as a fan. It made me want more as a, not just a fan of the music, but as a fan of Kanye and, and as somebody who's followed his career, has followed his life, um, you know, and just watching the different acts and, and the transformation and kind of, you know, the the rise and the, the not the fall, but, you know, kind of the rise and the the public perception of and change of him. Um, what is something that you would say to people that that aren't Kanye fans or that don't listen to Kanye? Um, the, the, or that say, well, I can't stand Kanye because he's too arrogant or he's crazy. Because I, I get it a lot, and I have my personal opinion, yeah. but I, I'd love to hear yours. I would just say that it's okay to feel that way. Like, you don't have to like everyone. Somebody could be a saint, right? And you could still be like, you know, something about that person. I just don't connect with it. But I think with Ye, the thing I would caution people is, do you really know about him, or do you just know the headlines? Right. And I think the more that people start to look into the details of him, whether it's the actual quotes or the context around headlines or just listen to interviews with him, the more you get to know him as a person rather than just a headline, the more people tend to at least become neutral or sympathetic or start to like him in a way that you may not if you're just hearing the headlines or reading the headlines or getting a snippet out of context. Yeah. So typically that's the thing that I ask, or at least say, you know, like watch an interview or two and let me know if you still feel the same way about him or if he surprises you in a way, or I often mention how people that know him or have met him talk about how thoughtful he can be, how much he asks questions, how like often kind he is to the people that want to talk with him. So I just kind of try to put out there that, the reality of Kanye might not be the same thing as the yeah. media perception of Kanye. Yeah. I think that's a, a great way to put it. And I, it's very similar to, to how I approach it as well. Um, <laughs> there's the star right there, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, you know, kind of transitioning from gay and, and kind of getting into, you know, your background and, and come, being from Cleveland. Um, and this is a great transition here. I'm excited yeah. about it. Um, I was at so I was at the the Sacramento show for Pablo, oh. where he went on his rant and but and everybody went crazy out there, right? But what stood out to me more more than the rant and everything like that was when Cuddy came out. Oh yeah, and Cuddy comes out on the stage. They they had you know obviously this famous beef that you know Ye comes out and says I birthed you, and you know they go back and forth and. They squashed the beef and it, it brought out Kid C Ghost, right? Like it, yeah. it, it ushered in a new era of Ye and Cuddy. 
Um, and they've always made amazing music together. And then now we have this new beef where, yeah. you know, Cuddy's friends with Skeet. Ye doesn't want Cuddy to be friends with Skeet. He's trying to dictate that. Yet Cuddy calls him a dinosaur. <laughs> and so, you know, looking at that, like me as a as a as a Ye fan, as a Cuddy fan, like it, it breaks my heart to see it. Yeah. You know, but you know, being from Cleveland, like, what is your perception of that? And then also just of like Cuddy and, and his rise. Uh, I uh I remember driving around Cleveland in college in 2008, I think it was. And I was in my like dad's old Ford Ranger that I that would sometimes run out of power steering <laughs> and hearing day and night for the first time and just being like, what the hell is this? Because it sounded like nothing I had ever heard and was just instantly obsessed with it. And was just like, who is this kid? His name's Cuddy. Okay and really was interested in what he was going to do when man in the moon came out i was blasting that for the next year or however long until my beautiful dark twisted fantasy <laughs> eventually came out but i've uh i've been a big cuddy fan i if i'm being honest i feel like some of his nothing has lived up to the hype of man on the moon for me as like an album which has always been a little bit of a like a you know, I'm hoping for it each time that there's just going to be a project start to finish that I love as much as I love that one. But his story in terms of his rise and initial fall, his comeback with Kitsy Ghost and where he's at now and this a renaissance of popularity for him and kind of reaching this legendary status, not just in the hip hop space and not just in the music space, but as a pop culture person i'm very happy for cuddy in that way but i feel like whenever these beasts with yay come up he kind of takes it a little further than yay does in some ways like i don't necessarily feel like yay was maybe in the right to call him out the way that he did about like you're being friends with both when back in the day yay was friends with big sean when gina echo left right. cuddy and started dating sean did yay stop talking to big sean in the aftermath of that right no kept making music for him kept him on the label so there's a little bit of hypocrisy i think you could point out in that situation but then you could also say like that's a girlfriend and not that's his wife wife mother children yeah. like there's a whole other level going on at this point um but then it's like yay says one thing and cuddy just takes it to that degree of like, you're a dinosaur, you suck. <laughs> like, and then he just had that other tweet the other day talking about like, you know, me and Ye are on a song with uh, on Pusha T's album, but we're not cool. And I'm never going to be on a song with him again. And yeah. I, just reading back to some of the comments from 2014, 2015 too, I'm always just like, man, he's so like harsh to Ye in these situations where I feel like, if yay is like a little negative in ways like cuddy takes it up to a 10. <laughs> he almost holds him to that standard that yay holds jay to yeah right where it's like you know it's like he almost and i don't want to put words in his mouth but it's almost like an idolization where you know you you have this and then something happens and it's like your whole world is crushed and so you just have to let everybody know and it's yeah. almost like a really really bad breakup yeah. I, I think that's the best way for me to explain it 
when it kind of has that you comparing it to Jay does make me think of big brother, right? Where yeah. one, it's your big brother. One, it's this mentor that does this thing. You always, I think in that dynamic have this sense of, I want to beat my big brother. I want to come out on top. So instead of maybe treating it a little more like neutrally, you tear them down a little bit more because now it's finally your time to take center stage, whether that's, I don't think that's necessarily conscious, but it's just kind of like a subconscious aspect of that dynamic that you might yeah. see play out. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's just sad. We want these guys to be in a good place. We know from the times that they have beefed previously that they want to be cool. They want to love each other and be in a good spot. So the fact that they're not always just a shame. And it hurts the fans, you know, the fans, yeah. we, we look at it and we're like, no, please say psych. Like, don't, <laughs> like don't, don't do this to us. I can't go no. through the heartbreak again. You know, hearing like hearing Jay on jail was like, oh, my God, like we're back. And then when Jay, yeah. this might be the return of the throne, you're like, oh, my God, like <laughs> this might be the return of the throne. And then Yay and Drake doing a concert together in, in L.A. It's like, wow, everything is coming full, full circle. Like things are getting better. And then this bombshell drops. But moving on to Cleveland, like, yeah, looking at the other Cleveland kids, you're a Browns fan and you guys just made a huge trade and got Deshaun Watson, gave him a ridiculous amount of money. But at the same time, you guys saw Baker Mayfield on the roster. What what does that do to you guys as Browns fans? I mean, I feel like most Browns fans at this point, from just what I've been seeing on reddit i don't i feel like each community like twitter browns fans are very different than reddit browns fans a lot of the time yeah uh people are mostly ready to move on from baker whether you really loved him or whether you were critical of him there's no denying that the last season was tumultuous at best and whether it was the coaches that wanted him to play or whether it was him playing through injury or something there's just a lot of negativity that built up I'm still somebody that feels like if he had been given another shot, it would have been interesting to see he's healthy. He has another year in that system. Does he come back and do what he was doing before? But also it's at the point of just <sighs> not as crazy as Johnny Manziel was, but uh, having some of that energy of just, I don't need the circus all the time. I don't need the drama all the time. So but we still have this hurdle, as you're saying, having both Watson and Baker on the team and mandatory practices are going to start soon. <laughs> and it's just what happens because if Baker doesn't want to void his contract, he has to show up. But then what's he doing in the QB room when there's already three other quarterbacks? It's him. Uh, it's in it's a strange gonna be, spot. It's going to be an interesting situation. What happens? So I'm 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 kind of worried about what happens with it with Baker because I, I feel like he I'm a little so I'm I'm a little more critical of of Baker and, and Kyler. Um, you know, my oh, yeah. dad played at Oklahoma. So um, you know, we when I look at Oklahoma guys, especially these guys that came out from from Lincoln Riley, mm. it's a different breed. You know, it's not it's not the the Sam Darnolds who were tough and and who, you know, you Granted, Darnold played through tons of injuries and all this stuff, but the Adrian Petersons, um, the Samaje Perines, those guys, like Baker and Kyler, just they're little divas. 
And, you know, and I, there's no better way to put it, especially yeah. Baker. I mean, you know, he's just on the, out there whining every single day. And I, I watch him on podcasts and I watch him, you know, you know, do his thing. And it's like, dude, just shut up. Like, why are you, why are you going out there and just doing like, you're, you're not making yourself look good for your potential suitors in, in the future. And so I think that those are some of the things that I look at from the outside looking in. Um, hold on one second. Sorry. Oh yeah. Yes. Here, take, take this and go in the other room. Sorry. You, you, you got your dog coming in. I got my son coming in trying to pop, uh, <laughs> trying to pop air bubbles. So, <laughs> hold on a second. Buddy, go in the other room. Go in your room. Um, yeah. So, you know, but you look at it and I made a tweet the other day. So, I mean, you've got, I think it was like $280 million guaranteed in contracts in quarter in the quarterback room alone. Yeah. Um, and so the Browns obviously have to make some decisions there and make some moves. You can't roster, you can't roster Baker. I don't think that's going to be good for the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to be kind of excited about Deshaun at the same time. You know, what are your feelings on it? Uh, I'm so like, I, uh, when he first was becoming available and all the talks were happening, I was so certain we weren't going to get him. I was just kind of like, I'm glad I don't have to worry about this. I'm not in the the moral quandary of Deshaun Watson. Like the Browns aren't going to do this to me. It's Cleveland. Why would he come here? And uh, then we were in the finale and then we were out of it. And I was like, okay, that was a close call. And I felt relieved. And then we got him. And now I'm feeling that like just mental confusion of, uh, not wanting anything to do with him, but also then just looking at it in football terms and being like, this is the most exciting quarterback we've had in 30 years, 40 years. Yeah. And wondering how that will go. It's a very, <laughs> it's been like a, a dark night of the soul in terms of exploring yeah. the morality of all of that. Um, I definitely find myself back and forth on it but uh, with all the drama that baker had in terms of the team and as a teammate uh it is a relief to be moving on to someone else that you feel like can quarterback well and might bring a little more at least team-wise stability even if yeah man we made fun of the steelers for so long for roethlisberger and now yeah. here we are in an arguably worse scenario <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a hard separation of church and state because you're yeah. you know one hand you, you you know the guy can play and you know that he's you know when he's on the field he's a top five quarterback um but then there's you know there's a morality issue where you know and I, i've seen a lot of Steeler fans making jokes about that where it's like it's like hey you guys said all these things about ben and now look at you um yeah. you know so it's i get it it's tough. And I, I, I look at it as a Raider fan, you know, I, I personally, I love Derek and um, I wanted there's to a lot of Derek. <laughs> a lot, you know, the funny thing is I go on podcasts with, with people all across the league and everybody wants Derek yeah. except for Raider fans. It, it, like Raider nation is sometimes the most toxic fan base towards their own players <laughs> because they have this like grass is greener mentality. They see Patrick Mahomes. They're like, well, why can't we have a quarterback? We can do that. Well, nobody else has a quarterback that can do that, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so 
every time a quarterback comes available, like, oh, we should get him. It's like, dude, we got Derek. Like, we're good. Like, but the you know, Raider fans, some Raider fans were wanting Watson. And they're like, well, why wouldn't you want Watson? I'm like, well, because of this. And they're like, well, just separate that. I'm like, it's hard to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but at the same time, you know, if if he was our quarterback and we won games, then you get excited about it. But uh getting into getting into the season, like what what are your expectations for the Browns now? I mean, you got Amari Cooper, you just signed Denzel Ward to this huge contract, you've got Deshaun Watson. Um, this is a team that you know you look at the Steelers with Mitch Trubisky. I don't see them doing much. Um, no. you know, the the bank the Bengals are they're probably gonna make another run. Um, and then you have the Ravens who I I'm sorry, I'm one of those guys who I don't like. I don't think it's not I don't like Lamar. I think that I don't think Lamar is as good as everybody says Lamar is. You know, I think Lamar is electrifying with his feet, but his arm is pretty mid. Um, So where do you see the Browns, you know, finishing this year? I mean, it's going to be a battle, which is a little bit of a shame because in the decades leading up to the Browns, the decades leading up to the Browns finally being good. What a sentence. Uh, (laughs) The rest of the conference wasn't like this. Bengals had some years where they were okay, but they were never a Super Bowl threat team the way that they are now. Right. And the Ravens were always really good which is frustrating. And then the Steelers have always been really good and a threat to make the playoffs every single year. But now it's like the Browns are finally ready to to fight and all three teams could make a run <laughs> to the Super Bowl given like if things fall right as yeah, as much of a wild card as Jackson is, it's still possible for him to just yeah. take over a game and get them to the Super Bowl. Um so uh, it's kind of a shame <laughs> to see us finally good, but in such a competitive space where we could have one of the best records in the league and somehow miss even the wild card spot because the rest of the division is just kind of popping off. So yeah. those interdivision games are going to be very thrilling, but very, very legitimately high stake. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still scared. I'm always scared of the Steelers defense every time. Uh, and the Watt brother that I forget his first name right now. TJ. Yeah, is always just yeah. TJ's a beast. Yeah, I still feel like he's gonna sack us four times, no matter who the quarterback is. So <laughs> we'll see where things are at, but I do feel like we're in a space finally where we can compete. Where we felt that way the last few years, and we still have some holes, right? Especially with linebacker and some of the, the defensive line. Because even though we have Garrett, it's still uncertain. Like our tackles aren't the best. And we still don't know who's lining up on the other side of Garrett right now. If I, unless yeah, I missed Clowney's a signing. Gone. Yeah. Which Clowney might still come back. It doesn't seem like there's been a, a ton of suitors. Though yeah. he might want that guaranteed money that we're just dishing out to everybody now. <laughs> um, I'm excited for it though. Uh, because... It does feel like as much as prospects were high last year, Baker was still a question mark on whether or not he can make simple passes. And as we saw his inability to make simple passes crippled us in these big momentum shifting situations where we just needed a first down and we couldn't get it time and time again. So I feel like Watson, even with him not playing at all last year, puts us in a better position for that 
and we really can threaten. It's just going to be a, a question of, you know, we thought with OBJ and Landry that we were going to do great. It's coming back to, it's really going to highlight Stefanski's play calling mm-hmm. and how big of an issue was Baker and the chemistry Baker had versus was Stefanski's play calling much more limited than what we thought it was. Cause I know that people were starting to bring it up a lot last year that the dynamics that were there in Stefanski's first year, did it seem to be there in the second year? And was that a personnel issue or was that just a problem with his system? So it'll be interesting, interesting to see how much that's either validated or exposed in the season. Yeah. No doubt. And I think that, you know, having some success in the, in the recent years definitely makes things better. Um, yeah. Question I have is, you know, recently Hugh Jackson came out and said oh, that he yeah. was paid to tank games yeah. and he actually took the money. Now, I know Hugh from his days in Oakland, yeah. um, you know, famously getting pedicures before games, <laughs> <laughs> uh, his, 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 you know, staunch um Mike or Mike Silver staunch defense of him in every situation <sighs> and Mike him blocking Silver. people because of because of you. Um, but, you know, it, it's wild that I don't think it's outside their own possibility. I think with all these people coming out, but the fact that you think, I mean, the fact that he's taking money to take games like it can't sit well with fans. No, but I mean, mm, I'm pretty torn on it because one, I just don't believe Hugh Jackson to begin with and maybe he'll surprise me but anyone that was like closely following the team and closely following Hugh and as you said you had this experience as a Raiders fan Hugh's not some amazing coach that was held down by the Browns he lies a lot or fibs a lot leaks a lot there's a, a duplicity that's been there whenever he's the head coach in terms of media and players that is on him and isn't something that is just being fabricated by the media or anything like that. So I find it hard to take that seriously to begin with. Um, But then teams in all sport, like in the NFL, in the NBA, in the MLB, I don't follow hockey close enough, but I'm sure in hockey as well. tanking is part of the strategy and rebuild strategy that teams have at this point. You saw it with the Astros before they won their world series. You saw it with the Royals before they won their world series. They did like six years of losing games in order to get high draft picks, set them up and then come back with a squad of superior players, sign the right amount of veterans or veterans, veterans at the right time. And they're golden. Uh, Same thing with the Cubs. The Cubs did a little bit of a dive. You see it in the NBA. So it's not surprising to me that the Browns would say, hey, we're not looking to play as competitively as possible, Uh, especially in that time. We're trading away the first pick of the draft instead of getting Wentz or uh, Goff because we want picks. We want to accrue assets. Mm -hmm. So then we're getting multiple first round picks. We're getting like a few more years of losses to build up the rest of the team because the team was in such dire straits that we had a foundation of talent at a number of positions that benefited us when we finally got Baker. 
rather than yeah. the whole Tim Couch scenario where <laughs> when the Browns came back from uh, their exile or the move to Baltimore um, and we got our ex- new team, we drafted Tim Couch, but there was nobody else around him and he just got sacked so many times that he was a broken player and mm-hmm. whatever potential his career had. So we didn't want to do that, right? You don't want to be Matthew Stafford on the Lions. And then you see what happens when Stafford goes to a team that has a little bit more talent. So it was smart to me what they were doing, but I don't know if Hugh is actually getting paid to lose games so much as there was maybe a bonus incentive if we had a top 10 draft pick. And it was just like, hey, you know, you had a top 10 draft pick. Here's $50,000 rather than like, lose this game and you get $50,000. So I could see there being roundabout ways where coaches are paid for this kind of thing or incentivized for this kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I don't know if I'd necessarily have a problem with that. <laughs> I think only the only aspect I'd have is, is a, you know, with having an issue with it would be from the betting standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're, if you're getting paid to, to tank games and somebody's betting on games um, and there's obviously the fixes in, that that makes things a little difficult for me um but i think if you're if you're in a position where you're you're tanking to make the team better right and you know that there's no chance of you making the playoffs you know there's no chance of you going into the postseason having any kind of success then yeah i mean look at look at the colts when they had the suck for the suck for luck campaign yeah it it worked out for them they got luck and you know unfortunately they weren't able to get him a super bowl but they had a perennial playoff team this was a team that, that had a ton of success. You have the the Jaguars who, you know, they've been so bad for so long, but they've acquired all of these top picks. And, you know, now adding Doug Peterson as head coach, you know, the 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 door is open for Trevor Lawrence to, to succeed. Um, so, the, yeah, there's obviously there's, you know, and you look at it with all the teams. I think the only team that, that isn't ever going to have success until they change ownership is the A's um, because <laughs> – they just get rid of all their good players and they don't yeah. do anything to, to, to fix it. But, um, you know, as a sports fan, you got to be excited as a football fan. You got to be excited about it. Um, you know, it looks like we're coming up, we're coming up on our time here. Um, okay. my son's getting a little wild over here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Chris, I wanted to thank you for coming on and let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Kanye podcast. And then we have a YouTube channel at Kanye podcast. And then our podcast, watching the throne, a lyrical analysis of Kanye West. And then if you want explanations to movies and their endings and themes, filmcolossus.com. There you go. Make sure you guys follow Chris. Make sure you check out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. And when you go on and subscribe, make sure, especially if you're doing it on Apple podcasts, go leave a five-star review, leave a review, That's how people find out if you like him or not. So if you like Chris, leave a review, leave five stars. If you don't like Chris, don't say anything. Just don't don't be that guy. But Chris, I appreciate you coming on, man. We got to do this again sometime. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. All right, let me end that. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.